The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back for another episode, like you heard, Messages of Hope. And many, many times I talk to people who have a loved one across the veil and have found hope through connecting with those loved ones who have passed. We talk about the greater reality. Today's show has a bit of a different focus, but it's all about hope. It's hope for those in need of healing, hope for those who go through tragedy. It's about the spiritual path. My guest went from quadriplegia with a 10% chance of walking again to climbing mountains. His name is Mike McCord, and his story is all about faith and belief and courage and the lessons that he learned along the way. And it's, it's just filled with timeless truths that I'm just so looking forward to diving into. But I wanted to start just by sharing with you that most of you know my background, that I was the age of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And that general, General Hugh Shelton, after he retired, fell off a ladder while trimming a tree and laid in the snow, immobile, because he couldn't even speak and let anybody know he'd fallen. He was paralyzed. Finally, someone found him just in time. They got him to the hospital, and as he lay on the gurney in the emergency room, a doctor looked down at him, and he said, Well, you know, sir, with your kind of injury, I doubt you'll ever walk again. And I'll never forget what the general said to him. He looked up at him, and he says, Does your name tag say God? And I just thought that's the perfect story to introduce Mike McCord because Mike didn't take no for an answer either. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, well, thank you, Suzanne. It's a real honor to be on your show. I'm uh, I'm really uh, pleased and looking forward to it. Very good. Well, when I started reading your book, and this book is called One Step at a Time, Memoir of a Former Quadriplegic, I kind of thought, well, what's the catch? How do you go from being fully paralyzed to this photo on the front of the book shows you standing on the top of a mountain. And I thought, well, was that before the quadriplegia or afterwards? And clearly it's afterwards. So I'm just, I'm doing a lot of talking now. I want to turn it over to you to tell us briefly your story, and then we'll dive into all the lessons that it has to share with us. 
Okay, well, well, sure. Yeah, well, I had a pretty normal life. I worked in very standard real estate and urban revitalization, things like that, very mainstream things. Um, but uh, I have the most married for 30 years with two sons. But on the morning of February 7, 2001, I had a, a, totally a life-changing experience. I was I was sleeping in the chair down in our living room. And I just got up around three in the morning. I decided to go upstairs to bed, and I started walking up. It's only like six stairs, flights of stairs. Uh, and all of a sudden, I found myself at the bottom. And I, to this day, I don't even know how or why that happened, but it did, and I couldn't move. And uh, my wife took me to the hospital, and I had broken my neck. It was a C5 neck break, and I had damaged my spinal cord. It was called a Brown's cord injury, and. And I couldn't move in. I mean, I could breathe and everything and talk, but I, I could move one hand, but I couldn't move at all the rest of me. It was very serious, you know, injury, although I didn't even know that at the time. Um, I was given a small chance of walking. My Later, my neurosurgeon told me about 10, 10% of people recover to walking, uh, you know, to that level. So it was a really a, a very, I mean, go from a normal person to, a, you know, to being paralyzed was just an incredible uh change in life many things if i could interrupt here uh, yeah, you know you, we hear about people having car accidents or skiing accidents or diving accidents but it's it's really a bit disconcerting to hear you were just walking up the stairs and fell backwards mm-hmm. and well, there I you are finding yourself fun. just truly you couldn't move any of your limbs well, you know, and frankly, I think that's one of one of the many reasons why I recovered. I thought to myself, you know, I can't let I can't let that be my my epitaph. I fell on the stupid stairs. I mean, gosh, if I was doing something like leading my troops into battle or something, but I said I, I can't. I, that, that just can't be. I mean, I can't let that happen. So it really, I said that was about as stupid as you can get. So uh, so anyway, it was a motivating factor. <laughs> I love but, that. But I did recover, I, and I, and that's a long story. I won't go into that now. I did get to be about 95%, you know, back to walking again. Got home from my hospital, immediately fell and broke my leg, which set me back. Then there were other things happened along the way that uh, I got laid off. I worked at a major bank here in Kansas City and got laid off from that. I thought it was. But you know, Mike, you're you're, you're you're breezing through this as if it just you know oh it just happened. But reading your book is truly uh, telling about your perseverance and your persistence because yeah, mm-hmm. you went back to work after people said you couldn't walk again, and you were actually walking to work with with the effort it took you to walk. Your your perseverance, your determination was incredible, but. You know, I, I believe a lot of it stemmed from your spirituality. You, in the book, you say you received an important message from God while in the ICU. I'd love if you go mm-hmm. into that. Yeah, there actually was two major epiphanies. Is the only word for them. The first one happened like three days when I, you know after I was in the intensive care unit and I was laying there. And I was first of all, I've never been a terribly religious person. I am spiritual, but I didn't go to any church for a long time until I discovered unity. So I was laying there and I finally just said, I said, God, you know, and I didn't know even how bad it was. I but I said, how am I going to get out of this? And immediately a voice came to me and whether it was audible or not, it was sure audible to me. It, it said three things. It said, do what's doable whenever you can work on your areas of strength first, which I thought was kind of strange. And lastly is don't give up or, or believe. So I took that as a, as a mantra as, and it was from God. It, it could 
clearly was. So I had my wife write that down and put it on the wall, and it became a uh, became my mantra, my my roadmap to, to recovery. I'd love to stop there if we could and go over those a little slowly because this show is about you and and recovering from quadriplegia. But this this message, when you ask God for advice, is perfect for so many who are struggling. Number one, do what's doable whenever you can. What did that mean to you in the first days after getting that message? Well, you know, it was funny because, you know, it was very vague and it was kind of like you're not even – particularly well stated, but what I took that to mean was just what it said. So if I, when I was in the hospital the next eight weeks, I, I would be, if I'd be watching TV or whatever, I'd look at that thing and said, well, do it. Well, well, I guess I can try to move my toe or something. So I laid there and I tried to, you know, all the time tried to do something. And whenever I felt that I was awake enough to do it, it became a, uh, a real thing. And I, some of the people started calling me 24-7 in the hospital because I really took that to heart. Yeah. And then the second one, work on your areas of strength first. So that's what you're doing. And then and that, don't and give was, up. Don't give up. I mean, yeah. surely you must have had moments of wavering. Well, yeah, I did. I mean, well, I did and I didn't because that kind of leads into the second thing that happened. I, I was in the, the first night I was in the, 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 the rehab institute, which was a, you know, the therapy that I was going to go through. I was so upset I couldn't sleep. I had them leave the window, the uh, shades open, and I looked out the window all night long. And I just, you know, thinking, oh, my gosh, I couldn't even do sit up or anything. And so I sat there and I mean, I laid there and pretty soon the sun started coming up and the sky started changing from black to, you know, dark blue to then rose hues. And as the sun came up and then pretty soon the sun did come up and I could see little things in the sky, which were birds. And suddenly everything, everything just became amazing to me. Everything in the universe, the sun then reflected off the sand and the bricks, you know, the bricks outside the window. And to me, it was like the eye of God looking at me and I was just amazed. I thought, what an what an amazing world we live in, and how lucky I am to you know be able to see it. And things I do have, I can hear. I can you know I can move my one hand a little bit, and and it just became a, a miracle. And not only that, I began to see inside of people, and I can see how lonely we all are, and how we all need one another. I'm I'm also a student of the Course in Miracles, and one of the things it teaches is that one of the keys to healing is to not look at the world through eyes of fear and and i'm convinced that i that that moment when i started looking at the world through love eyes of love rather than fear that's when my healing began to to what do you attribute that miracle that you had that point of view there in the hospital and you're truly your darkest hour well i think it just goes back to kind of what jesus said that to faith, belief, and action, all things were possible. I think he tried to tell us this, that we all have those powers. And and it just, to me, I guess, it, again, it was the fact of the way it happened. And, and, and I was still, I was in my early 50s. I just couldn't accept that that was going to be my my reality. And when they told me I had a small chance of walking, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's an average. So that means, you know, some did, some didn't. Well, I'm going to be hmm. one that does. So from the very first, uh, within a few weeks, I told him I'm going to recover and I'm going to climb mountains, and because I had climbed a mountain before I had the injury, and uh, they never did say no. I'll give them credit for that. That they said, "Well, yeah, that's nice, Mike. Why don't we see if we can get yeah. you to sit up first? <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> no, no, literally, that's true. 
everybody, if you read his book, let's see if you can sit up first. They would sit you up and you would just flop over repeatedly, yeah, repeatedly, like repeatedly. That was your therapy. And you're telling them at that time, I'm going to climb a mountain. Well, wow. I don't know if I said that right away, but as, as I began to show recovery and I did have good care and everything, so that was certainly a part of it. And, and you know, I, they got me in right away, so I didn't like lay there for a long time. So that was critical as well. But but I was really determined, and uh, and I just then I did tell him finally as I was being released, the therapist said, "Now, Mike, you know this idea, this mountain, don't, you know, come on, let's don't don't be trying to do more than you're capable of, and you know, and all that." Well, actually, it made me mad, and I said, "Well, I'm going to show you." So after I climbed it, I I said, "I'm going to send you a picture," and I remember telling Randy, my therapist, that. So I did. I sent letters to all my doctors, and I told them. After my sons and I climbed Mount Elbert in Colorado, which is the highest 14er out there, that, uh, you know, thank you for all you've done, but please don't ever use the word can't with your patients because you don't yes. know what's inside that person and what motivates them. I love that. I love that you followed through and showed them what's possible. And, you know, unfortunately, in human nature, many people would say, well, you're just an anomaly, but you're not. You're a model for what's possible. And not we're not just talking about quadriplegia here we're talking about not accepting when people tell you what's possible or what's not mm-hmm. that's true and, and actually at one time i wrote an article for the daily word and i called it thankful for every moment and, and i truly am even to this day because i still have pain from the injury and things even tonight last night but, but i in the article i concluded by saying that some people have said what i accomplished to be a miracle but i don't because I think it just simply shows the power that each of us possess. But I said, I said, frankly, I guess in that sense, maybe it is a miracle, but it is one that we all possess. That's right. It's a very possible miracle. I mean, there's there's a miracle where if you'd awaken the next day and you could walk, then people would really say, oh, that's a miracle. But the miracle is that you realized I don't need to be limited by what people say. And you got that message and followed it. So it's awesome. I'd I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you said it so quickly and I'm like, wait, wait. When you said I could see inside of people. So Mm -hmm. would you expand on that a little bit? And if you'd had any of that before and what it was like? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we all have empathy for others, you know, and especially uh, unity types. <laughs> I have to be, I am prejudiced there, but, but I, but I was just a normal person and had did faults for sure. But when you're put in that position, you suddenly realize how vulnerable not only I am, but I just, I began to just see inside these people and how lonely they were. I mean, these were, you know, like nurses, aides type people. It was an inner city place that I was at and and you know I just could see that they were just struggling they were you know had their own problems a lot of them shared them with me as I got to know them and how they were just you know struggling and doing the best we could and I just realized that you know we really are one and how we're all doing the same struggling to get by in life with whatever you know obstacles we have and how we really do need one another and one of the major takeaways I got is that you know just by the sometimes a smile to the checkout lady or something like that any act of kindness can change their lives in ways you may never know but it was um i don't know it was just part of this overall awakening that i still have to this day well you know and that's part of the 
the gift, if you will, of being in that bed the way you work. You were completely dependent on those aids for feeding you, caring for you, everything. You couldn't do anything for yourself. And so suddenly you have you have to pay attention and you have nothing but time to contemplate. So mm-hmm. hmm, it kind of makes us think, well, what if we spent more time noticing what's going on inside of others? That's really what happened, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, really good. And not only that, in, in everything else too. I remember the first day I got out of the hospital, I was still, I was still using a in a wheelchair part of the time and using a walker part of the time. But I remember sitting outside, and just everything. I mean, it was just like I said in the book, like through the eyes of a child, the bark on the trees, the shadows of the bark on the trees, the uh, the wind, the feeling of the air breathing against my face, the sound of birds, even bugs or whatever. Everything was a miracle. It was it was like for the first time I was able to see this and I realized how lucky I was and how everything is a blessing. And I still have that feeling because I still have pain at night. I, I still have some residual things. And uh, every time I'm not in pain, I give thanks to God because hmm. I know it isn't going to last. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So you have a whole chapter in the book that's called Strange Occurrences. I would love for you to talk about the events <laughs> that you talk about in that chapter. Just pick some well, of your favorites. <laughs> that's a that's that's a that's a whole different part of this. There's been so many aspects to this whole incident, but yeah, I I, I think I think what yeah, strange things begin to happen in the house, and uh, it got really weird. And not only I experienced it, but so did my sons. I think kind of what happened was I had was so open to healing. I had opened the door, you know, basically to any anything. I think maybe I opened it a little bit too wide. <laughs> I began to even have I, – I was an appraiser, property appraiser, and I would take pictures, and I just had got this new digital camera, and I'd, there'd be these little things in the picture, like they looked like one was right up against me. It looked like a pizza. It had all this stuff in the middle. It was like a round thing. And, and they, I'd see them in trees and, and things like that. I'm not even sure if that's in the book, but I did. And I learned later they were orbs. And yeah. They were yeah. more than dust particles. But things began to happen in the house. Um, frankly, I had to call in an exorcist at one time. I'm, this, I know this sounds crazy, but I, have, I had a goldfish tank that I'd had for years, and suddenly these little fishes, and they were like my little friends, started disappearing. And <laughs> nothing makes me madder than something that I heard, you know, a little little creature. And so I said, oh, that's enough of that crap. So, so I called a guy that I knew. I, I knew he was at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and he came in and did a full, you know, exorcism. And, oh, my gosh, you know, I hope nobody sees us through the window. <laughs> But he did, and he said there were some spirits, two spirits in the house. One had pushed me down the stairs, and they were causing these things. And there was an Indian spirit that had been on my property for 300 years. And so he cleared it. Uh, he said, you know, he did this thing with, you know, with the Bible and the ropes and the whole thing. It was quite a quite an experience. So then a few days later, another. So I can't remember what it was. Something else happened. I, I just want to stop there because this is an okay. area that we've never gone into on the show. And it, it probably a bunch of people are saying, oh, my God. And to <laughs> me, what I've come to understand when there are what we would call negative energies or less than positive energies, there's always a an opportunity there to bring in the light. So exorcism is um, um, one way that – people use but we can just as easily do it in in a way that 
doesn't have a scary connotation to it. For mm-hmm. some reason, you must have needed to have that lesson. <laughs> well, I did, and and, and I guess then I, I was just going to say the lesson I learned when things began happening again. I called this exercise back, and I said, "Well, you know, I don't think it took. I think we need to do another one." And he said, "I said, would that be more money?" And he said, "Oh yeah, it'd be another hundred dollars." And I, I said, uh-huh. "Well, I'm not going to pay any more money." So I decided that if I had opened the door, I could shut the door. And so I did. I said, you know, I, it's all starts with you and certainly with fear. So I just basically shut it off and, and things quit happening. So I still have things now and then, but I have very strict house rules and they're very nice. But, but anyway, uh, the bad things started, you know, quit happening once I made that decision. And to me, that was the lesson that we are in control of even that. I am so happy we got it around to that. And I didn't manipulate that. I'm like, Spirit, why are we talking about this? And there we go. Once <laughs> well, you get rid of the fear, people, those things right, stop happening. Like That's what I'm talking about, an opportunity about that, there, time to bring in the light. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, that was cool. So let's get back to the mind-body connection because clearly, you know, you have people talking to you mind to mind saying, you're, you know, just be content with the way you are. This is the way you're going to be for the rest of your life. And this is a physical, physical damage to your body. You, you had damaged the spinal cord. So no wonder that those who don't know about the mind body connection would say, be, you know, be content with this. What did you learn about that mind body connection? Well, I I've read a lot, and I think there's a I have a number of uh, references in the book. I mean, I've read dozens and dozens of books about the about quantum mechanics. I think is where it started, and what really resonated with me. I, at one point, I had a job in Chicago, uh, for a sh- short-term job, and so on the train in from the suburbs, I would read. I started reading books on the science and spirituality. And I read about, and I'd never been a real church person. I'd always a bunch of garbage, you know, all they want your money and all that. So, but so the more I read, I learned that everything in the universe is a vibration, and that, that science has proven that consciousness can actually change that vibration. That's called the observer effect, and it's it's proven. And so, the more I read, finally, I had one day I had this aha moment. I says, "Oh my gosh." Science and religion are saying the same thing. If faith works, prayer works. They're just using different, you know, words. And to me, that was one. Of, that was just this major. And this was before the injury. Uh, that that really we had control over our bodies and not only our health but other events in our lives. So it became clear to me that these things did work, and that was a that was a uh, one of the major revelations. I've since learned about things like subtle energy that how it works even more so. And uh, and just quickly, I'll tell you, I know this works. I know it works because there's, have you ever heard of the term thought forms? This is, uh, it has been proven, shown that when you have a thought in mind, it can manifest into reality. And uh, real quickly, I'll tell you a story. A friend of mine at my Unity Church, her name's Marlene, told me that when she was a young lady, they had a game they played, and it was kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, and they had this evil character, and he was a dark, you know, evil person, and he had this dark cloak on and everything. Well, one day she said they were walking home from school, and they looked upon it, and there was a church steeple, and sitting on top of the church steeple was a black figure that was exactly like they had in their game. And so they all screamed and ran home and never played the game again. They, they had actually manifested that. And there's other examples. They're called thought forms. So these, this idea that your mind can affect reality is, is real. It isn't just some you know thing that we 
sounds good. So I, I knew and that. So for anybody that just went to fear again, it's just how clear how that our thoughts are so incredibly powerful. And so you have to become aware of your thoughts and where your fear is going and affirm, I am the light. I am. An, I arise from the light and the the less then light-filled thought forms come from the ego that wants to keep you thinking that you're anything but this magnificent being. And I know that sounds Pollyanna, but it truly, you do attract to you what you give out. So, mm -hmm. wow. That's really true. And part of the process is addressing those very issues. It's, some people call it toxic positivity. Others call it shadow work. But part of the things you need to do is to address those fears and come to terms with them and, and heal them. I was always really hard on myself when I was young and you know, said horrible things and had this idea. But I learned through this experience that I was wrong. So I, I, if you remember the song, I Am a Rock by Simon and Garfunkel. And how's you know, sure. I'm a rock, I'm an island, I need no one, you know, no one needs me. Well, I finally realized how wrong I'd been. So I had my wife at the time write a letter of thanks to the people at Unity Church of Oakland Park for all their support. And I told them, you know, how much I appreciated what they did, because I didn't think anybody cared about me, and how, and you know, and how wrong I had been. And it changed the way I looked at the world. But I think that, too, was a part of the healing, is to address those, the shadow that we all have. And right there is a shadow to think that nobody cares about you or the, the greatest awareness that we can come to is that you're so very loved by spirit, by all those higher beings that know we're so much more than this story. So, wow, lessons abound here. Uh, we have a have to go to a break in about a minute and a half, but how about uh, just any one key that you or other people have used to overcome obstacles, to make miraculous recoveries one key well, sure well there's actually a, i read a book called remarkable recoveries and it tells about all these people that had these amazing recoveries and what was the commonalities there are three of them i'll read them real quickly one have clear intention the second one is pray as though it is already done and i call it not if when and thirdly take action to make it come to pass and that and there's thousands of ways it works but those are the three keys to to overcoming you know obstacles and healing so give us the first one again because that was just a quick run through <laughs> just the first one i'm sorry it's a, have clear intention is the have first clear one. intention yeah uh -huh. okay so again that is the prime mover of consciousness the intention so mm -hmm. you were it was pretty clear in your case what you were going to do and that was i'm going to climb a mountain not just walk but climb a mountain we'll get to that after the break i love the second one and we're going to dive into that more after the break it's not if I'm going to recover, but when. That one I love. Yeah. And what is the third one? And the third one was take action to make it come to pass. You know, you, you have to then, as Jesus said, move your feet to make it happen. And you literally moved your feet after being a quadriplegic. <laughs> so we're talking to Mike McCourt, and we're going to be back after a three-minute break and talk more about the miracle of recovery and a lot of lessons learned from all of this. So we'll be right back.
Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hey, everybody. We're back from the break, and we're continuing to talk to Mike McCord, who fell down the steps at home and found himself a quadriplegic. That means none of his limbs were working. And how long were you actually in the hospital the first time Mike, until you were discharged with a walker and a wheelchair? Uh, well, I was in the uh, intensive care unit for a week, and then I was in the Rehabilitation Institute here in Kansas City for, for another six weeks. Um, I began to get recovery uh, fairly soon. I mean, they say that with spinal injuries, you're, you're, if you're going to recover, it usually happens within the first year, and even more so the first six months. So I began to get recovery, you know, within a few weeks and finally was able to walk and, uh, you know, with help. I also typed, I've had, I, I do uh, use a computer a lot. So I had, to, I found a little computer in their, in their room and I had to start working on it. I started out with six words a minute is how I could type with my hands and ended up doing ending when I left about 50. So it, um, it came and, but then it went on way past the year. Yeah, that just really impressed me. Just the typing scenario that you described there, just using hands that weren't working and typing out just a few words a minute. And just it's that you start off your book by talking about the little engine that could story from a child that seemed to urge Uh you on even as an adult. Yeah, that was, it's a little, you probably, a lot of you have heard of it, but it was called The Little Engine That Could. It's really, it even brings me, I was just reading it before the, we came on the air. It's a sort of a little engine, it was a little fable, and it was a, there's a big mountain, and this, the big engine, you know, couldn't, you know, broke down, and they were taking a load of toys over the mountain. So the little engine, they gave her a chance, and she just was, just so she tried, and she tried, and nobody thought she could do it, and she finally got the little train, the big train to go a little bit. And then it began to move, and it went up the mountain, and all the way up the mountain, she said to herself, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. So she finally got to the top of the mountain, and then they were starting to go down, and all the little toys were happy and screaming and yelling. And the little engine said, I knew I could, I knew I could, I knew I could. <laughs> so I, I as, that, as the daughter of a railroad people. engineer, I, I always loved that story growing <laughs> up. But it really it's it's just beautiful that it motivated you as an adult to to overcome what people said you couldn't do. And, and and it's so appropriate that that story is about climbing a mountain because let's talk about that. You actually did it. You set your sights on climbing the highest 14,000-foot mountain in Colorado. Is it Mount Elbert? Mm-hmm. In Mount Elbert. It's over near Leadville, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. And had you already had that as a goal before your accident? I did. I did. Before the before the injury, I had climbed Long's Peak over by Estes Park, and that's that's a little that's harder. And I did it, uh, and I had this goal to 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 do it. Uh, you know, after the after the injury, I just said I'm just going to make that a I'm going to do that. And my sons and I did it. Ironically, when I there was points on that when we were doing that climb. When I actually said those words, I think I can, I think I can, because, I mean, it was hard. Uh, I mean, I still had major pain and heaviness in my left side. I could hardly lift my foot. Every step was, uh, a, you know, an adventure, and uh, and I used that, used that little saying as part of my motivation. Well, I have to tell you that you've definitely motivated my husband, Ty, because he has a stack of books now by the bed about climbing the high points of the states, you know, the the highest mountains in the states. Uh, some of them, you know, I'll join him to climb the ones in Florida and Louisiana, you know, but he he fully intends yeah. to climb Mount Elbert and as many of the others as he can. <laughs> and it's a really wonderful goal. I love that, you know, I want everybody to know you didn't have to get out the pitons and the, the ropes. It's not that kind of mountain no, climbing, but no. this was no easy no, no, feat. No. How many times did you height. fall on the way back? Oh, a number of times. At one point, I mean, again, thank heavens, my son Sean and Ryan were with me. I, I, I was to one point up there. I, I started to fall backwards, and I would have fallen. And my son caught me in his arms. Otherwise, I, I went rolling down there like a bowling ball all the way down. But, but uh, then on the way down, I fell, started falling more and more, and I did have some walking sticks, so that helped me. But. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a real it was a real experience, and it was and the best part about it is that I did it with my sons, and it was a real bonding experience, and really taught me that that you know the journey in life is what's important, and love is what matters, and we did it together, and and to me that was one of the highlights by far of my life that I did it with my with my two sons. That's awesome. Totally, totally inspiring. Like I said, the the picture of you standing at the top of Mount Elbert is on the cover. Mike's book, again, is called One Step at a Time, Memoir of a Former Quadriplegic. And when you read the book and see how far you came, it's, it's a testament to the power of the mind and to faith and perseverance. There's a beautiful checklist in the book of similarities in the attitudes, beliefs, and characteristics of people who make the remarkable recovery. We started talking about this before the break. Can you summarize some? I'll give you a hint in case you don't have your own book right in front of you, but one is accepting the diagnosis, but rejecting the prognosis. That's how I started Mm -hmm. the show, talking about General Shelton, who said, you know, doctor, your name tag doesn't say God. Did you, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about you accepting the diagnosis but rejecting the prognosis right yeah that's true and actually i do have that right in front of me there's like six of them uh but yeah that's exactly right i as i think as i might have mentioned uh when they told me that you know that only i think 50 percent made recovery but only 10 percent walked and I, I just looked at it as though well that's an average so that means there's a curve and there's got to be the ones that did it all the way and I said, I'm going to be one of those. So I, that's the way I looked at it. Uh, and that's one of the keys, as you say, is accepting the, the diagnosis, but not the prognosis. A couple of the others were that make decisions based on your belief systems and not somebody else's. And mm. another one is having, having a special relationship with someone is also important. But 
you know, that's get in touch with your unex, unexpressed emotions. Wait, wait, hang on. That. You're going too fast, Mike, because these are really important if you don't mind. So okay. third, the second one he said, make decisions according to your own belief st- systems, not someone else's. So we can definitely mm-hmm. learn from other people. That's why we do programs like this, but trust your heart, right? And then this one, don't, let's not breeze past this because it's so important. Having at least one special healing relationship and understanding with a loved one, a health professional, a friend, a support group, or a therapist. I understand that now you help to motivate others still. Mm, I do. I'm, I'm a mentor through the Christopher Reeve Foundation, and I have helped a number of people, um, not a number, but I, some people with recoveries that they didn't think they were going to accomplish either. But I, and I also just wanted to say, as far as that second point, uh, there are, I wrote even a letter to the editor one time in the Kansas City Star called, There Are Many Paths to God. And at one point I asked God, I said, all these different methods that people had. And I said, which is the one that works? What's the best? And the answer I got was the one that's best for you. So <laughs> There are many approaches to this, and uh, but you've got to feel it in your heart that that's the one that, that works. And uh, I mean, and others is just re- rediscover the joy and the purpose of life and the sense of worth you have. You don't have to climb a mountain to, to realize these things. I mean, I want to make that really clear. It's all comes from within you. I, I knew a man one time who was when I was in, in a handicapped bus, and he had he'd been had. He, paraplegic all his life, but he had taught himself how to paint, and he was, oh my gosh, he sold paintings all over the world. I mean, he really made the most of what he, he was blessed with what he did have. So healing is, is is a matter of, you know, what's in your mind and the way you look at the world, not that you, you know, climb a mountain or do anything like that. You know, it's, it's, it comes from within. Rediscovering joy, yeah, creativity, a purpose of life, a sense of worth. Many times that comes from helping others, or mm-hmm. just like you, some of the examples yeah. you gave. Uh, you might have skipped over getting in touch with unexpressed emotions. How does that help you? Well, I think that's. I think that. I think what that means is when we talked about the shadow, you know, where everybody has, as I mentioned, is part of the hero's journey. Where anything you do in life. There's going to be, you know, obstacles, and and many of them come from within yourself. And there are things that have held you back, and you know, maybe a belief about your own self, your own body, you know, the way you look, uh, the way other people perceive you, which I certainly had. And and those were feelings that really kept me from realizing my full potential to to you know to achieve these things, and I, that these things were possible. So. Part of the, I think that what that would mean would be that you have to address those issues, the shadow, if you want to call it that, and come to terms with it and heal that within yourself, in order to be a whole person. That's part of the part of what's necessary. Yeah, that's part of the journey for any of us, regardless of whether we've suffered a setback like you did. And then the mm-hmm. final um, similarity in people who had. Miraculous recoveries, the resolution and determination to transform their lives, their careers, their marriages, etc. Some people are are born with that kind of attitude. What are your thoughts on if that's achievable, if it's not part of your normal characteristic personality? Well, I think I think you just got to be content with yourself. I mean, I, at one point I. 
I have it here somewhere, you know, of all these different keys to doing these things. And some things sound great. Oh, yeah, you can, you know, write a novel or whatever. But but in the end, it's uh, it comes down to what really is possible. And, it's, and I, I think about the, uh, you know, find it real quickly here. It's basically it's the prayer they talk about for Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, God, give God, give me the strength to to make the changes in life I can to accept those that I cannot change and, and to be at peace with the difference and know the difference. So it comes down to don't put, unre- you know, if you don't feel like that, that's, if, you know, that, that's, that these things are going to work for you, then be at peace with that because you can still be a fully real wholesome, uh, achieve wholeness and realize these things in your life without having to get out of your wheelchair. Cause sometimes that's just, you know, the way, things are and uh, you have to accept what's what's going to be you know uh, within your life so don't ever give up on but on the other hand don't ever give up give up on your dreams either because you always you always can be a completely whole and and, and self-realized person yeah yeah absolutely i'm going through the pages of your book here that i dog-eared and one of the things that jumped out at me is when you wrote, then it hit me. I'd lived my entire life without ever realizing that such a beautiful world existed. How foolish to have wasted most of my life worrying about frivolities while missing what truly mattered. So there you are. It took falling down the stairs and not being able to move to wake you up to that. And then you started in that time listening to tapes. (laughs) that's uh, we're putting a timeline on that, aren't we? Listening to tapes or doing visualization meditations. You call it doing your soul work time. Was that something new mm-hmm. for you? I actually had started uh, meditating a year or two before, uh, and this is you know when I went to Unity, I started that practice. I've since meditated every day for 23 years, I think. But yeah, I used every toolbox tool in the toolbox. Uh, visualization i could you know when i would meditate i would i would imagine myself running down a road and mm. i could just feel the wind in my you know in my face and everything i was like it was real and it's been proven that things you put into your subconscious like that will manifest so if you put a negative thought in your you know in your mind well i'm never going to do anything then probably you won't but but if you you know say that you will and and feel it and believe it and then and then have an action plan to actually make it happen. That's when it does work. So I use all of that, and including you know whatever modern medicine offered. I you know some people say you don't have to do that. I I believe in taking advantage of every opportunity, everything that you know we can give to of you. Course. So it's 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 a total it's a total uh, you know approach. The holistic approach. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I love that you talked about the one of the benefits of meditation was that you could just drop right into that deep sense of calm and well-being it just descended over you so here you are in the midst of what anybody else would call a tragedy and you were able to find that place of peace yeah that's true and i think you can do that anywhere i mean you know for example if you're stuck in a you know traffic jam or whatever some people might be pounding on the dashboard and everything to get out of it. Others may think it's a great opportunity to just be with yourself and and listen to good music or just you know be content and not that nothing you can do. So just enjoy the moment. So I love it again as it 
it, as it says in A Course in Miracles, we have a choice in every situation on how we want to look at it. And for me, I chose to look at it. Even now, I mean, I'll just say quickly, I, I have pain even to this day at night. And I have to, I, I can only be in without pain for a few minutes and then I have to roll over because of pain in my hip and things. But boy, do I enjoy those few minutes. <laughs> and I think, you know, it really it keeps you in the moment. So I look at that as a blessing too. Well, I just want to, you know, what you said just there makes me laugh because of the timeliness of it. If I could give a quick shout out to one of our listeners, Karen Crawford, just emailed me minutes before the show to thank thank me for the teaching because she was she had an incident with her car and was able to see the blessings in it. Just like you're talking about with the traffic jam, she had to pull over and get a tow truck and have friends come and get her. And she said that a few years ago, she would have been screaming and probably pounding on the dashboard, just like you were saying, Mike. But instead, she remained calm and she saw the blessings in the situation, that good friends came to their rescue. And, you know, she may have reached out to thank me, but it's it's each person's personal path that nudges them to find solutions when the old way of acting isn't working. So congrats mm-hmm. to Karen and everybody that's putting all of this to use. And Mike, you sure did it in a beautiful way. Let me pull up another place that I dog-eared and see what we, what wisdom you shared in your book here. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay. Give me a second. Here we go. I We I said we would get back to talking about not if, when. You mentioned a technique you used that came from um, a Reiki practice of having a God box. After reading your book, I actually got a box and did what you said. I'm not calling it a God box. I just call it my my done deal box, my done deal box. Mm-hmm. But why don't you tell everybody what that was and how it worked for you? Well, in my case, and again, I'm I'm not a Reiki master. I am Reiki too, but um, they have a thing called a God box. And I, I had got laid off from my job. I was working in a as an independent appraiser with another guy, and that wasn't working out. I, I had tried everything for nine months to find a job. I, you know, I have I have some job skills. I have a master a master's degree in business, and I felt that I was not utilizing myself, and I couldn't walk. I was stuck uh, in what I was doing, so I. So I made these three these uh, intentions that I put up in the box, and one was to walk a mile, which I didn't think I ever would able, be able to do, and the second one was to, uh, you know, to to find a job that was worthy of, you know, that I felt was that I was, you know, worthy of. And I think that's something I can't. There might have been a third one, but that's the main. No, that's so it. Anyway, just two. I'm looking at it in the book. <laughs> they're, they're just two. Okay, <laughs> it's been a while. At any rate, so I went out and I and I started walking this mile. And maybe I thought I was actually going to try to run it. I was not going to walk it. And it was so hard. I still remember looking down at the ground and seeing the little you know, pieces of cement go underneath my feet. And I kept thinking all the way. And again, I might have used that. I think I can approach. And I and I did it. Within a week, I walked a, I walked a mile. And I never thought I would ever be able to do that. So then I went on but, and walked But how did, how did you use the box to make that happen? Well, because I put the intention in the box, and to me, it it wasn't a matter of, you know, if, it was a matter of when. It was just an, a resolution in my mind that these things had to be. I wasn't going to stay that way. I wasn't going to be staying stuck at this point because I hadn't had any progress. And it was just a matter of saying it's done. It's done. It's, it, yeah. You know, it is done. So let's talk about and, that a minute. For, for all of you listening, what is it in your life that you – have not achieved yet, you, yet you want to achieve, 
So get a box. I, like I said, I read this and I thought this is going to work. And the reason it works is because it allows you a focus for your intention. Right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And belief. Yeah. Yeah. And so you mm-hmm. write what you want on the paper and you put it in the box, close the lid. And then I love, Mike, you put in your book, but I place my hands on either side of the box, shut my eyes and visualized both goals. But I didn't pray to God. Instead, I claimed what I felt in my heart was mine all along. With Mm -hmm. with passion in every fiber of my being, I resolved it wasn't if these things were going to occur. It was when. And so, Mm -hmm. I would love if everybody tried that. Because at that time, when you said, I'm going to run a mile, how much were you even walking? Well, at that point, I could walk about fifty yards, uh, <laughs> and uh, and and I, and but I was I, I tried to like run across the yard. I kind of looked like a crab going across the yard. It was really uh, really bad, but I just uh, I just started you know working up um, to the point that I could do this. I, I will say one thing real quickly, and I think it's in the book as well. But when I got to about ninety percent recovery, I can remember saying to myself, "Well, you know, I've really done a lot." I, it's, you know, that's probably good enough. I remember saying that, and I think, and, mm-hmm. I, and I'll be darned, that was that was the end of it. And that was, and I, that's why I still have some things. But I think if I had to said that, I probably wouldn't even have these residual issues because once I put that little bit out in my mind, then that was that was the end of my recovery. Isn't that interesting, huh? So let's just getting getting back to the whole subject here about the power of intention and belief. We don't know what is possible but you'd never know unless you believe and see it as done Mm -hmm. and affirm it is so resolve like you said in the book and i love not if it's going to happen when just hold that vision that it is happening i I have the little box sitting by my computer and it's that's my done deal box so i'd love if everybody listening is motivated by your story mike to to have their own Mm -hmm. visualization and put it in a box (laughs) It would work. Let me go through here again. Now we have the key. Yeah, here it is. So the key to why that works, you have it in the book. You must see something other with your senses. Live in the joyous end result. Now, I'm sure this whole journey for you wasn't always joyous. How did you hold on to that? It was hard. It was hard. I went through a real nasty divorce, I guess. The best way to put it there was some issues there that really caused me to question it uh, and there were times when I really wondered um, why you know I even asked God why did what did I do to make you mad but I still had this 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 you know this resolve that I just couldn't let myself be that way and I had to just keep going I ended up with a better job as, as you know as part of this God box thing I got a job within a week of making that commitment Without an interview. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it, but I did. And I worked there for 20 years. And I've since gone on. I'm very much, it's to me, it's opened a whole new world to me. I am now involved with the Unity Earth Care Program. I'm the chairman of that program. I'm on a board of the whole person, which helps people with disabilities. I'm a mentor with the Christopher Reed Foundation and other things. It's really, to me, I want to make the most of this opportunity to give back what, what I've received. Beautiful. That's beautiful. 
So yeah, you. I mean, from for a period of a couple of years, there are several devastating life events. You went through them all. And what do you say to people who say enough is enough? How do you explain that? that well, I, how you I, I don't that? know. I don't know how I would. Say. I mean, I guess it's such a personal thing. Uh, it just depends on what you know. What's what's acceptable to you? You know, I can't say that you should do this or that or whatever because it really is your choice but i just want you to know you do have that choice and not only in you know things like healing but just in if somebody makes you mad or tries to you know pull your strings or whatever the question is you know the issue is they can hurt they're going to hurt themselves but the but the but the real point is whether they hurt you is your choice whether it's just something that somebody did to you or whatever so in every you can only be hurt if you let yourself be hurt very good. Wow. We've covered so much here. We just have a few minutes left. How about the most important things you've learned from all these life challenges that we might not have already covered? Well, I think I think that the three three most important things that I learned from this was basically to be thankful for every moment. Every moment moment in your life because it all can be taken from you in the wink of an eye. And, and believe me, I learned that. The second well, one. Now is, let's slow down. Um, <laughs> I know I've okay, already caught okay, on. Right. You're going to go through this list, and it's just too important to, to rush through it. So <laughs> gratitude is hugely important, and that's nothing new to anybody who listens to this show. But to find gratitude when you find yourself in a bed completely dependent on others for all of your personal care and not knowing what's going to happen next uh, certainly worked for you, and it, it does it does create miracles. And the second. Mm-hmm. Well, the second one was, you know, is is to never give up on your dreams because because I believe that anything is possible if you let go of your preconceptions of yourself and you know, the, the limitations you put on yourself, and then and then put faith in in faith in in, in belief into action. Uh, and I do think that's the secret to miracles. Beautiful. And how about another? And the third one is simply. To, to, to love yourself and everything in the world around you and realize that we all are one and that our smallest acts of kindness can affect the lives of others in ways we, we never would have imagined. So, you know, it's a blessing to be part of this, this, this world and to realize that we're all in it and we're all in it together and that we can, we can make a difference for a better world. Thank you so much for sharing that, Mike. I just opened up to the final little sticky note I have sticking out of your book and it my eyes dropped to where you write I regretted the wasted years of holding myself separate from others so we just hope that it doesn't take anybody else a kind of wake-up call that you had but look at the way you're helping others as a result of that so thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your inspiring story with all of us thank you Suzanne I really appreciate the, for you having me on Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.